whether right now or afterwards. Lord, you are everywhere. You are omnipresent. We are therefore most grateful that through your spirit, through Lord your spirit, we gather here tonight. We pray that Lord you descend into our midst with all your power. Grant us understanding into your word. Let the blessing in your word tonight again, Lord, be unto us abundantly. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this, our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all be seated. Sunday, we celebrated the remembrance of the resurrection from the dead of our Lord and Mother Jesus. It was Easter Sunday. And as you know, for 40 days, for a good 40 days after Jesus was risen from the dead, he showed himself to the disciples, the apostles, commissioned them, gave them witness. He gave them witness. For 40 days, he gave them witness to the fact that he had risen from the dead. Therefore, we are going to look at some of the, the important, important things, the important um, um, lessons that we need to learn from this resurrection of our Lord Jesus. It is one of the most proclaimed preached or teach subjects in churches. And we begin to look at it to some detail in the next two or three weeks. This we will begin to look at the proclaimed resurrection of Christ. The proclaimed resurrection of Christ. We want to look at the importance, the meaning, the lessons that we get from the resurrection. And when we say Christ resurrected, He has risen from the dead, what it means to us as Christians, and what that means to the whole world, humanity in general, the proclaimed resurrection of Christ. And for our text, let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 12 to 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 21. The proclaimed resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 21. Now, if Christ is preached that he has risen, so he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Let me tell that again. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, 
How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So, we begin by looking at the fact that the resurrection of Jesus means that there is the resurrection of the dead. It means that this life is not all that is all life that is available. It means that there is life after this life. If indeed Christ rose from the dead, it means that there is resurrection after death. Which also means that life does not end with death here in this life, but there is life after death. Therefore, the Apostle Paul, writing under the unction of the Holy Spirit, says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you, in other words, there are some in the Corinthian church, a few in the Corinthian church, who went about saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. So Paul, or God is saying that, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if, in other words, if there is no Resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. But in fact, Christ rose. And if Christ is not risen, if there is no resurrection of Christ, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. In other words, the gospel, preachings, teachings, the church, and in fact, all of life, Life itself depends on the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Praise the Lord. Then in verse 15, Paul says, Yes. In other words, if Christ did not rise from the dead, 
then we are found false witnesses of God. Then we are fake or false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. In other words, the resurrection of Christ is closely linked. In fact, it's intimately and inseparably linked to the resurrection of the dead in general. In other words, life after death in general. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. But the father Christ is risen means that the dead do rise. The dead will rise. And if Christ is not risen, it also means that our faith, our faith is empty. Our faith is vain. We are wasting our time. Your faith is futile. And it, the other implication is that then we are still believers, are still in our sins. It means that our sins have not been forgiven. So it means that all that we are saying, preaching, teaching, is falsehood. It's not true. Then also, it also means that 18, that those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died in Christ Jesus, have perished. That they are dead. Either they are going to hell, or they will not rise again. So they wasted their time in this life, worshipping God through Jesus. They have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, if there is no life after this life, if only in this life that we believers have hope in Christ, but when we die, then that is it, then we are of all men most pitiable. It means that then we, our worship of God, our service of God, our hope, our faith, everything is in vain, it's futile, it's not true. And therefore, we are to be pitied. Then we are of all men the most, the most to be pitied, or to be pitied most. And that's what I think it's all about. Paul concludes, by that, but, but now, now, now he makes a very emphatic point. He says, but now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits or the first person of those who have fallen asleep. But now the fact is that there is no argument about it because there were witnesses. That's why when Christ rose from the dead for 40 days, he went about showing himself to disciples, to people, who then became witnesses of the fact that he was raised. He had been raised from the dead. He had been raised from the dead. And has therefore become the first fruits, the example, the first one after which all mankind who are in him will follow. So he has become the first fruits of those who have died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, very important point here. Paul is saying that if we believe that death, we die. And we all know that we die. Nobody can argue with the fact that men die. People die. Everyone, in as much as you are born, there is a time to die. Everyone dies. 
That is a point that can, is not debatable, cannot be argued. So, how did then death come into the world? Death came to the world through Adam, one man. The first Adam, through his sin, introduced sin and death into, into this world. And therefore, by man, by another man, Jesus Christ, came the abolition, the defeat, the stoppage of death. So a life will go on forever. And this abolition of death, this topic of death came through the Father Christ rose from the dead. And that is why we proclaim the resurrection. And that is the basis of the proclamation of the resurrection. Praise the Lord. Put your hands there for Jesus. Could you please clap your hand for Jesus? Let me give you some more scriptures. Now, Acts chapter 1, verse 22. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. Give more, I'll give you some more scriptures to show why or how the early apostles, the apostles spent most of their time preaching and talking and teaching about the resurrection. Acts 1, verse 22. Or let's say verses 21 and 22. Acts 1. Verses 21 and 22. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Praise the Lord. Now, they had to appoint an apostle to replace Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus and hanged himself. And the condition was that the person to be appointed or elected to replace Judas must be somebody who has been with them throughout all the ministry of Jesus. Throughout the ministry of Jesus. From the day that John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, traveled with them throughout, and seen his resurrection, and seen his ascension. In other words, the qualification of the one who was to replace Judas as an, as an apostle might be somebody who is or who was a witness of the ministry of Jesus from the beginning to the day when he was taken up to heaven. And that person is the only one who could be an effective witness of the resurrection. And therefore, they chose Matthias, as you all know, to replace Judas. Just say, Amen. Amen. The same Acts of the Apostles, now, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 4, 1 and 2. We're still talking about 
how and why we proclaim the resurrection of Christ. Acts 4, 1 and 2. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and priests in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the early apostles or the apostles of the Lamb in establishing the church in planting the churches spent time emphasizing the fact of the resurrection of Jesus and therefore resurrection from the dead. So church and all those who are listening to me, watching me let it be known to you today if you didn't know that life does not end here in this life. No. Life, once you are born a human being, you are born in the image of God, in God's own likeness. God breathed life into you, gave you a soul and a body. You don't die. Life continues forever. Life here on earth is only, let's say, phase one, which must come to an end. Phase two begins after physical death here, when there shall be a resurrection from the dead. And therefore, the question is, where will you spend that life, that eternal life? Because certainly, not here again in this world, not here again on this earth, but somewhere else. Your life continues, but where are you going to spend that life that will go on eternally, forever? That is the question that comes to mind when we talk about the resurrection of the dead. And for this reason, there are some who don't want to hear about it at all. Some don't want to know about it, especially when it is preached in Jesus Christ, as you have just read, even the priests, temples, the, guard, the temple guards were not happy that the early apostles were preaching the resurrection of Jesus and therefore the resurrection after death in the name of Jesus. Therefore they came upon them and tried to stop them from preaching the resurrection in the name of Jesus. But we proclaim we are witnesses. It has been passed down to us. And we are the present day witnesses. And therefore, we proclaim the resurrection of Christ. Church, say Amen. And clap your two hands for Jesus. Verse 3 of the same chapter 4. Verse 3. Ask for verse 3. Ask for the 3. And with great power. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. With great power. Because whenever the truth is preached, whenever the word of God is preached in truth, in sincerity and in the spirit, the power of God God confirms it by his power. Therefore, and with great power, 
the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Church, say Amen. Now, let's go to again Acts 17. Acts 17, verses 16 to 21. Acts 17, 16 to 21. Acts chapter 16, sorry, Acts chapter 17, chapter 17, verses 16 to 21. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. When he saw that the city was given over to idols, the city was taken over by idol worship. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and their resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Interesting story. Paul happened to be in Athens. You know, Athens was then the capital of Greece. And the Greeks believed in wisdom. The ancient Greeks were all philosophers. Whereas the Jews believed in signs and miracles, the, 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 the Greeks believed in philosophers, wisdom. Therefore, they spent a lot of their time listening to words of wisdom, new things. They, they, they wanted to know about new things. New things. And whatever they found to be, to be true in their own wisdom, they accepted. Therefore, the whole of Athens, the capital city of Greece was given over to idol worship. All kinds of gods being, being worshipped. All kinds of things being heard because the Greeks always wanted to hear new things. Then they will analyze it, examine it, debate it. Some will receive it, some will, some will reject it. Therefore, the city was filled with many idol, idols, gods. Not one god, but many gods. And Paul happened to be there. And Paul said, and the Bible said, while Paul was waiting for his travel companions, his spirit was provoked. He saw what was going on, what they were worshipping, what they believed in, and 
He couldn't just be quiet. He couldn't sit still. He couldn't just remain still. So, he began to preach Christ and the resurrection. He began to preach the word of God to the Athenians. And this is something they had never heard before. That God came down as man, humbled himself, and was killed. God was killed. I mean, it, 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 didn't, it, it went against anything that a God would do. They worshipped Zeus. They worshipped other gods who were powerful gods. And none of them, no God had ever died before. Gods don't die. Gods don't allow themselves to be killed by men. Then not only that, but you rise again the third day and say that therefore there's the resurrection of the dead. So when they heard this, they invited him to like the town hall. They invited him to where people debate. He was invited to come and explain because, I mean, they had never heard this before. <laughs> Verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, What does this babbler want to say? A babbler is somebody who, who is just talking nonsense. He's talking something that doesn't make sense. A babbler is something who's just like a child. Making blah, 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 blah. I mean, it didn't make it. To, the, to the philosophers, what Paul was saying, what, what it didn't make sense. And for the same reason, you know, the gospel of Jesus may not make sense to many in the world now. In fact, they will call preachers and Christians babblers. So they said, they call Paul a babbler. What does this babbler want to say? Others said, well, he seemed to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. He said, another God, which we didn't know. Therefore, a foreign God. We know our God. But he is talking about foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection, which they had never heard before. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which we speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. You are bringing some... I mean, we know how gods behave. We know the way gods are. We worship them. They tell us what to do and we do it. But for God to come and serve as a servant and allow men to kill him on a cross, buried in a tomb, the third day he rose up and then... Uh, went to heaven. I mean, we are bringing some strange thing to our ears. What are you talking about? Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. Verse 21. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Praise the Lord. So you can imagine, Paul alone in the midst of Gentiles Recounting this strange thing. And of course, they will throw questions at him. Paul will answer. They will question him. He will answer. Because Paul was a proclaimer and a witness. He was a staunch witness. He saw it. He has seen it. He believed in it. And therefore, he was prepared to proclaim the resurrection. He knew what the resurrection would do for mankind. 
He was only ashamed of the gospel. Therefore, he faced them. They encountered him, also encountered them. Church, may you be a proclaimer of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Clap or two hands for Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus ranks first among all the miracles. Jesus did many miracles. There are many miracles that God has done. But the resurrection of Jesus ranks first among all the miracles that prove, that bear witness that Jesus is God. Divine nature of God. The divine character of God. That Jesus is God. And this is where many don't want to agree. This is a fact. Though the facts speak for themselves, many don't want to accept Because if they accept that, then they have to give up maybe their own religion. Because in their religion, their religion, their leader didn't, didn't die and rise up. Their leader died and that was it. But to accept that Jesus rose from the dead means that Jesus is God. That means that they have to give up their religion and come and be a disciple of Jesus. And for this reason, they will not accept it. But this resurrection ranks first, the first, the most important among all the miracles that prove, bear witness to Christ's divine nature. The Father Christ, Jesus Christ, is God. Romans 1, 3 and 4. Romans chapter 1. There are many scriptures, but I can only take one or two. Many scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says that concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Now, verse 3 is saying that. Concerning the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the Bible begins by declaring Jesus as our Lord. Now, he was born of the seed of David. According to the flesh, he was born a human. Therefore, people are, they will easily accept that he was a prophet, just like any other prophet. People will accept that oh, he was a teacher. They are no problem with that. He was a teacher. They will accept anything that comes from the flesh. But when it comes to the fact that is stated in verse 4, verse 4, the Bible says, yes, verse 3 says he was born as a seed of David. According to the flesh, he was born a human being. And that, people don't have any problem with that. But when it comes to verse 4, the Bible says at the same time, he was declared to be the son of God. Means that he was God. Or he is God. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. In other words, he is God. And that is the bone of contention. That's where the argument comes from. But we know, you know, and I know, that he is indeed 
son of God, he's God. And for that reason, death could not hold him in the grave. Death cannot. He laid down himself, his life by himself. He offered to lay down himself. He, 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 he was not killed by force. He, he gave up his life. And he took it back. He took his life back. As simple as that. Praise the Lord. Clap for two hands for Jesus. So, having remembered the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday, that is not the end. Now we're going to look at the implications, the importance of this resurrection. You see, again, the resurrection is God's seal of approval. The resurrection also means that, or meant that, God the Father approved, approved of the atoning work, the, redemp- the work of redemption for the justific- justification of sinners. And this again is very important. The resurrection was proof, proof that God approved, God was happy, God has received or accepted. Jesus' work of redemption, his work of atoning, now as taking our sins on himself, so that anyone who believes in him becomes righteous and will not die, will not perish. God approved of it, God accepted it, God was happy with it, and the resurrection was proof of God's approval. Of the atoning and the redemptive work that Jesus did for you and me to justify us with righteousness and therefore to give us eternal life. And that's another significance of the resurrection. Now, Romans 4, verse 25. Romans 4, 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Or let's say 24, 25. 24, 25. Romans 4, 24, 25. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. In fact, if we want to go into it, we can say that Jesus, when he was crucified, he was crucified to take away our sins. His crucifixion, his death, took away our sins. Now, his resurrection gave us justification. So the two go together. His crucifixion Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. The two go together. His death, crucifixion, took away your sins and my sins. But didn't end there. In being raised from the dead, rising from the dead, we were justified, we were made holy. We were then made righteous before God. So he was delivered for our offense, for our sins. He was delivered to be, to be crucified. And was raised for our justification. Church, say amen to that. And then, again, 
Again, the same Romans 5 verse 10. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. Romans 5.10 says, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Praise the Lord. Look at that. For if, when we were enemies, we were enemies of God, when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Amen. We're talking about the, the death, again, the death and the life of Jesus. The death and the resurrection. The death, His death, gave us reconciliation. Brought us to God again, because until then we were enemies of God. Because our sins were still upon us. We were still sinners. And we couldn't just come out of it. There was nothing we could do about it. So he death took away our sins and once our sins were gone now we could have fellowship with God. We were reconciled to God. Not only that, but if his death, if his death could do this for us, then what about his life, his resurrection? So his resurrection, therefore now, gave us life, which is life eternal. So the death and the life of Jesus, very, very significant. And that's why he was there in the grave for only three days, not for three years. <laughs> Three days. Because, I mean, having, he had to come out quickly and give it the life. He had to, and in those days, you know, they used to count the days, count the days according to days. Uh, he died on Friday, that's the third day, Saturday, second day, third day, Sunday. He rose from the dead. But generally, for example, in medicine, in medicine, when we're counting days in hospitals, we count them by 24 hours. So, medically, if he died on Friday, Friday to the same time on Saturday is one day. One day. And then Saturday to Sunday will be two days. So, some may say, oh, two days. It's not two days. Medically, two days. If you come to hospital and say, well, how many days were you in hospital? We count it how we count it. We don't count it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days, no. Friday to Saturday is one day. Saturday to Sunday is one day, two days. But in those days, the Jews, they counted the days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the third day. Praise the Lord. Clap your hands for Jesus. Clap your two hands for Jesus. So, um, his... His, his resurrection was a sign of God's approval, approval, approval for his atoning work, the work of redemption that gave us reconciliation and life eternal. Now, again, the same Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. 
Romans 8, 33 and 34. And this is very interesting. It says, Romans 8, 33 34 says, Now, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Now, the Bible is saying that we believers, as many as who believe in Jesus, and my prayer is that the whole world will indeed believe in Jesus. Because this is something that I mean, you can't afford to miss. You can't afford to let such great grace, salvation pass you by. So he said, who shall bring a charge? Who shall bring a charge, an accusation against us? Who at all can accuse you? Who can accuse you? Because the only person who can accuse is God. It's God who can accuse you. And it's the same God who has justified you. Who is saying that he has, he has no accusation against you? Hello? God is the one who justified. God has no accusation against us. So who can accuse us? Because we are God's elect. Then 34 says, Who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ. It is Christ who condemns. And he died for us. The person who should condemn you, died for you. Can you believe that? The person who should condemn you, chose to die for you. Praise the Lord. And furthermore, is risen. And is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. The person making intercession for us, is the one who can condemn us. And if Jesus now is making intercession for you, how can he condemn you? He cannot condemn you. So as long as you are in him, you are safe. You have life. You are reconciled to God. And no one can bring any charge against you. Nobody can take you to court. And no one can judge you. That's what the Bible is saying here. Because of his resurrection. Just say Amen. Now, last but one point. There are many things that the resurrection has done for but I'll look at two more. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is intimately, in fact, is inseparably connected with the believer's spiritual renewal. Your spiritual renewal. The power of the resurrection gives us, through the Holy Spirit, that spiritual renewal. This is because the new life of the believer comes from the risen Christ. It is the risen Christ who gives us the power of that resurrection. It is life. You see, he is the source of life. So when he came back to life, he gave us that life, that shone in our shine in our spirits, and gave us a new life. And if you don't have that, then you may, though you may say to claim to be a Christian, you will not have the new life. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Colossians 3, 1 to 11. Let's quickly look at this. So what are you saying? That the believer's spiritual renewal, for you to get that spiritual renewal, that spiritual renewal, you must understand, believe and accept that it is the resurrection of Jesus that gives you that power. Colossians 3, 1-11 if, 
If then you were raised with Christ, if you believe that you were raised with Christ spiritually, then seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We take this one by one. If then you were raised with Christ. Now if you have accepted Jesus and he is in you and you are in him, then automatically, without any question, any doubt, you will seek those things which are above. You will seek spiritual things. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, verse 3, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And this is where many Christians fail. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died, verse 3, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The life of every believer is spiritually hidden in Christ. And Christ is now sitting on the right hand of God. Therefore, if your life is hidden in Him, that is where you are. Though you are here physically on earth, spiritually, you are not here. You are sitting with Christ on the right hand of God. And this, therefore, should make you Set your mind on things above. Verse 4. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, therefore, how do you put, set your mind on Christ? Things about, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. When we say members, don't need, we don't mean church members. Not like, things in your life which are on the earth. We're not talking about church members. Put to death your members. Now, the things that are in you, which are on the earth. Fornication. Fornication. You cannot set your mind on things about and be a fornicator. Uncleanness. You cannot practice uncleanness. Passion. That is lust. Lust. Evil desire, that's passion. Evil desire. And covetousness. The Bible calls all this idolatry. Because this, these things you find in idol worshipping. Which is idolatry. These things are peculiar to those who worship idols. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. And covetousness, which is, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. In these things you yourself once walked when you live in them, but now you are no longer walking in them. Now you are no longer living in them because of the resurrection. Christ sits on the, on the right hand of God and you are there with him. Therefore you are no longer walking in these things. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. You have to put them off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, 
filthy language out of your mouth. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie at all. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor, nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Just say Amen. Finally, finally, through the resurrection, through the resurrection, through glorification, God, God has placed some things for us. Therefore, we say that resurrection and glorification are things that God has pledged. Things pledged by God. God has promised. And God cannot lie. Promise them to true followers of Christ. And here, before I end, remember that following Jesus is such a mind on things above. Becoming a Christian following Jesus is not because you want things here on earth. Seek ye for the kingdom of God and his God's righteousness. Then everything else shall be added. The Bible says explicitly, categorically, that we must first seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Then everything else shall be added. You don't follow Jesus seeking first the everything else before you begin to seek God and His righteousness. You don't come to God seeking first His righteousness. No. no sorry. First the everything else before, secondly, is there anything at all? His righteousness. Because God has pledged to us resurrection and justification. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. Because time will come. The time will come when we shall have to put off this vessel, this, this, this mortality, and take on immortality. And God has sworn by himself resurrection and justification. And this is in Christ Jesus. So, Romans 8.11 Romans 8 Romans 8.11 Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says that, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This I've always said that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you cannot 
die and die with the Holy Spirit. You cannot remain in the grave with the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of Him, that the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, if you are the Holy Spirit in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, will also raise you up through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, very, is vitally important. That's Romans 8, 11. Now, Philippians 3, 20, 21. Philippians 3, 20, 21. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. The Bible says, Philippians 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Church, consider this. Bible said that, yes, we are citizens of Ghana. You are a citizen of Ghana. Or wherever you are, you are a citizen of your country. But the real citizenship of a believer is heaven. The real citizenship of any believer is in heaven. For our citizenship is in heaven. And that's why Christ is seated on the right hand of God. And that, so that from which, therefore from heaven, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting for Him. Who will, when He comes, He will transform, He will change our lonely body. This body is lonely. This body is, in fact, is full of problems. This body is... I can't even. Uh, it's, it's, it's far less than perfect. Bible calls it lonely, lonely. The body is not nice. It's not good. This is not how God made us. God made us His image, likeness. This is not how God made us. This is not how He made us. So this body now is lonely. It's lonely. Occasional headache. Next day cough. The next day back pain. The next day uh, uh, today. You know, hunger. Some of you have eaten about five times today. Because hunger. As soon as you finish eating, within one hour you are hungry. The body always calling for food. Test. This body is lowly. Lowly. We cannot enter heaven with this body. This body does not qualify to enter into heaven. No one can enter heaven in this vessel, in this body. No way. It has to change. Has to change. And this, this Sunday, I'm going to begin to teach you something that maybe you have not thought of before. So, who will transform uh, 2021? 20, our lonely body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Glorious body. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things himself. And therefore, if you think it's more possible, Bible says, according to his working, according to the way God works, according to God's power by which he is able to do. Anything. Subdue all things to himself.
He can do anything. So if you think that this body cannot be transformed, think again. God can do everything and He's going to do it. And that's what is going to happen. Then 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 14. That's the last scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4 14. 1 Thessalonians 4 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. If we believe that Jesus died and resurrected, rose again, even so, in the same way, God will bring with him those who die in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Clap your two hands for Jesus. Put your hands down for Jesus. And that's why we proclaim the resurrection. That's why we proclaim the resurrection. Next week, interestingly, 